question, how many more choruses of that song can you strum? <laughs> I was watching his arm and I was like, oh, my son, his arms are going to be <laughs> Can you guys give our worship team a thanks? Yes. Thank you, Father. I thank you that you never let your kids down. And if you would just reach out your hand and put your hand on a sister next to you. And Father, whatever it is that my sister is believing for, God, I thank you that you never let your kids down. When we put our hope in you, we are never disappointed because you always, always, always are good. So Father, as we're touching our sister right now, we believe with them in agreement with your word that whatever it is, whatever the season of life that they're walking through, whatever the circumstances are, God, that you are working on their behalf to bring good because you never let your kids down. So look somebody in the eye and tell them, God never lets you down. God never lets you down. Give somebody a hug because maybe somebody has not had a hug today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Man, that was a good song, Ray. I love that song. I want that on Sunday morning. <laughs> Rhett, can you can you uh, be ready for that? Be doing some curls. Whatever. He's all, yeah, do it this Sunday. I'm not. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, uh, is there anybody here? Well, if you have been to a women's meeting before, go ahead and just give a wave. If you've been at an N3C women's meeting before. So there's a few people here who have never been to one of our uh, N3C women's nights before. So welcome. We're glad that you are here. We're glad that all of you are here. So, hey, buddy, can you help me with this? Yeah. You guys, I ordered this in the mail because I really like the way it looked. It's cool looking, right? Um, this is straight up like a cast iron skillet. It's <laughs> solid. I had no, thank you. I had no idea that it was, um, it said iron and they were serious. <laughs> they were serious when they said that. I like the way it looks. It is heavy. So whenever you see, uh, the guys on Sunday morning bringing that up with one arm, you can be impressed. <laughs> So anyway, um, there we go. Uh, the team, the women's ministry team has like the year they've prayed and they've pressed into like, what do we feel like God is uh, saying for the women of our church and what is the area that God is wanting us to press into? And one of the things that came up right off the bat for the ladies was very simply starting our year off with identity and uh, pressing into that concept. And so when I was thinking and praying about identity, then the thing that came to me, I already told you my childhood trauma, but the other thing that came to me is like, anytime I would walk into a room or, uh, we moved a lot when I was growing up and I was always the tall girl. <laughs> it's just, that's who I was is the tall girl. Um, I wasn't the smart girl. I wasn't the pretty girl. I wasn't the really nice girl. I was the tall girl. And then whenever we were, uh, you know, we would travel to other schools for sports and stuff like that. Then of course the opposing team school would come up for, uh, with other names for me. Um, they were not nice. 
<laughs> but I was the Jolly Green Giant. I was the Amazon. I was the Lurch. I was all of all of these names that they would come up with for the tall girl. And that was my identity. That's who I was. Uh, it was always a thing of who was um, taller, me or this boy. And for the longest time, I was always the, you know, when I don't know, do they still do that when you're in elementary school, do the class pictures? Do they still do class? Do they still do class pictures, Katie? Yeah, they do. I was always the girl in the middle, in the very back row. So it didn't really matter if a mom dressed me in a super cute dress. Nobody's going to see that cute dress because I'm behind three rows of people in the back row. And I'm always the middle because I was the tallest in the class because they would arrange them that way. So now whenever I am somewhere and there's a group of women and we're going to take a picture, I like being in the front. I get down on my knees and I get to be in the front because I never got to be in the front growing up because I was always the tall girl. And I don't know, as you think about it, whatever your identity was, what is it that people said about you, that you were labeled or how you were identified, how people, if someone was going to describe you, uh, how they could pick you out in a room, you know, how, how would they describe you? What would they say about you? How would you be identified, uh, walking into a room so that somebody could pick you out? And so thinking about identity, I thought, well, I should do my due diligence and look up the word identity and get a definition. So the Oxford dictionary defines identity as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. That really didn't help me a whole lot. In my, <laughs> I was like, all right, that's pretty vanilla. So I uh, looked, then I was looking through the Bible with all my little fancy Bible tools. Like I don't speak Hebrew or Greek or anything like that. I just have really cool programs on my Bible that in on my computer because I'm a pastor and you're supposed to have those kind of programs. And so I looked up the word identity in the Bible and going back to uh, the original translation of the King James translation, the word identity is straight up not in there. I found that very interesting. Zero times is the word identity used in the original King James translation of the Bible. I very seldom use that for uh, leisure reading or anything like that because I don't talk like that and it's hard for me to understand, but I do use that for study. So then uh, I think the New Living Translation has it in there five times. I think the Amplified Bible has it five times. There's a couple of Bibles that have it three times, but most of the time, uh, there was two instances in the New Testament that it was used. It was mostly used in the Old Testament to uh, tell about what tribe someone was from when it was talking about the different tribes in the Bible. It would talk about that this particular person was identified with this certain tribe. So the word identity is not original language for the Bible. But it's a huge concept, right? It's a big, it's a big thing that we talk about. It's a huge part of what we press into as Christ followers. We press into identity. But what it made me think of is do we think of and process identity the way that God processes identity? The way that we approach identity, is that the way that God approaches identity? And one of the Profound things that I heard from my kids uh, is uh, Riata, my daughter, says this. She says, you can tell what it is by the way that it is. 
And I asked Rhett, that's from some video, and I said, okay, if I quote that, because I think that's funny, and she'll she'll say that at random moments. And I said, okay, if I quote that, is that from some video that's inappropriate that I should not be <laughs> quoting that from? Because that is a question that you should ask. So anyway, they said, no, it's okay, Mom. So um, one of the things that I was thinking about is that the world's way of formulating identity is primarily outwardly based. Uh, our identities can be based on our appearance. It can be based on your accomplishments. Identity can be, um, we base identity on a person's education, their, the way that they dress, uh, the, I mean, if we're just going to be honest, which we're at women's group, why shouldn't we be, you know, what their weight is, how tall they are, what their hair color is. Uh, it's things that we see on the outside, but we also can gain identity. We sometimes have identity, uh, put on us by what we view as failures. We can have identity formulated by what we would perceive as, um, uh, moments of emptiness in our life. Identity can be formulated through moments that we would like for nobody else to remember or that we hope that nobody else finds out about. However, because those moments happen and we experience them, oftentimes our identity is formed by the way that we perceive ourselves in those moments and those situations and how we handled them and how we wish that we would have handled them. And we form identity through that. And I mean, you know, we form identity. I, <laughs> I have, I've found it also very interesting that women will compare birthing stories, you know, and if, if you were in labor longer than I was, and apparently there's like a fluffier cloud for you somewhere because your labor was longer than mine. And there can also be a comparison that if I had a natural birth, that somehow I'm more spiritual and more strong than you are. But, and I've had people like compare themselves to me, but I've got news for you. I'm six one. I got six one hips, you know, me birthing a baby through six one hips is a whole lot easier than some little five foot woman. So if you're going to go the natural birth route, I would encourage you to do so because God leads you in that direction and not because you're trying to get an identity by toughing it out. Right. But we can get identity because we look at, you know, well, their kids are way better behaved than mine and mine like can't sit still in a chair for three minutes and eat chalk. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things that like we get identity through so many different things, but those identities that the world would put on us are outwardly gained. It's based on outward things. And, but there is like a, some invisible pressure to measure up in that particular identity paradigm. And with, we, we, we've all heard it. We've all probably talked about it to some extent, but with social media, that form of that pressure of identity seems to be increased. It's like what Christy said is like, I did a whole lot of dumb stuff when I was a kid, but nobody was filming it and putting it out there for everyone to watch over and over and over again, and then bring it up at the least opportune moment and remind you of that. Right? So it's that identity from the outward place, and it goes into uh, being influenced by your accomplishments and your activities and your relationships, as well as the voids and the emptiness and the losses that we experience. 
all of that affects our identity. And to the point to where the phrase came to my mind of the things that we can hear in our culture now as I identify as. And that phrase is so common. And it would be very easy to... uh it would be very easy to look down our nose at that statement from someone. But what I would like to propose is that a person making that statement is not so far off than our own ancestry. That if we look back into Genesis in the very beginning, when we become born again, then that becomes our ancestry. Those are our ancestors and our own ancestor the woman in the garden being influenced by the serpent that says to her, has God really said? And so a person today making the statement, I identify as, and whether that's like, again, my kids like to joke around, I identify as an Apache, an Apache attack helicopter, right? And, you know, different things. I know that there's like actually places where kids are identifying as Furbies that they're identifying as all these different things and identifying in your pronouns and blah, 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 blah. And that becomes identity. And as certain parts of society, we can get to a place where we, we ridicule that from a place of judgment and I would like to propose that for a moment that you would consider putting yourself in the shoes of a person who would actually make that statement. And a person who would make that statement is following under the same deception that woman followed under when she followed the serpent that said to her, has God really said? So has God really said that you're of value? Has God really said that he created you and when he created you that he didn't make a mistake that he created you with his design in mind has God really said so it's very easy for a person who doesn't know what God has said to be influenced by the world's culture of identity coming from the outside whereas when we look at the way that God designed it and if we would shift our perspective and looking into seeing that identity isn't something that is from the outside that identity is something from the inside based upon an internal decision and a belief our identity is not formed by the things on the outside, whether your kids sit still in church or whether they're running all over the place out of control or whether you're six foot tall or five foot tall. That is not your identity. Your identity is based according to the kingdom and the way that God looks at identity comes from within. So I want to just propose this scripture to you is uh, in Genesis Chapter three and verse eight, it says, this is after, uh, God has created everything and, uh, woman who later is called Eve, but at this time she hasn't yet been given that name and she isn't given that name until she's actually cast out of the garden with Adam. But at this point, God addresses her as woman. And so woman and Adam. So if I call her Eve, then it's, she just simply hasn't received her name yet, but, um, Woman and Adam are in the garden. Everything has been created and God has given them dominion over all of it and to tend to it. 
And he has given them the instruction that of every tree of the garden that they could freely eat, but of one tree that they cannot eat. And it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of that one tree they cannot eat. Well, the serpent comes and begins to speak to the woman and he deceives her into partaking of the fruit. And the scripture says earlier in Genesis three that she gave to her husband who was with her also. So it's not like he was like, you know, off hunting or something like that. I mean, like he was right there with her when this was happening, but we'll, we'll just save that for another time. So Genesis chapter three says this, this is after they've eaten of the fruit and verse eight says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? So that phrase hid themselves in the Hebrew is one word. And that phrase very simply means in the Hebrew to withdraw, to pull away from. So we notice that God came to them, but because of the knowledge of what had happened, Because of what was inside of them, now, they withdrew from God. But if you dig into that word, the root in that Hebrew word means to put out a fire. So not only did they hide themselves from God, but in hiding and pulling themselves away from God and creating distance. Who created the distance? They did. God came to be with them, but they created a distance. And in creating a distance from God, a fire was put out on the inside of them. When God created them, he breathed his essence. He breathed his nature. He didn't just breathe life into them, but he breathed the very essence of who he was into them. And in that essence of God, there was a fire that was placed on the inside of them. And when they distanced themselves and pulled away from God, that fire began to die. It's the same thing that happens to you and I today. When we distance ourselves and when there becomes a space between us and God, remembering God does not put the space between him and I, I'm the one who puts the space between me and God. So then it goes on and it says that they uh, hid themselves and that word from the presence is all one word in the Hebrew again, and it means from his face. So they were not in the place of being face-to-face with God anymore, which is what God created them for. That's what he created you for, was that face-to-face fellowship. Oftentimes we think of coming to God and sitting at his feet. We sing about it and, you know, it's wonderful to sing about. But actually where God has called us and created us to be is in a face-to-face relationship with him. It's not good enough to God that we just sit at his feet. He wants us in his lap to where actually, if you could think about it, of feeling his breath on your face. That that is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. That we would be so close and so intertwined with him that when God speaks, that we actually feel the breath of his words on our face. So when the Bible says that they hid themselves from his presence, the thing that I wanted to focus in on tonight that I felt affects our identity, knowing that our identity is internal and not outward But the very thing that affected them in the garden, that affected woman to hide, was very simply shame. But it's very interesting because the enemy doesn't come to you and just say, oh my goodness, you should just be so ashamed. 
the enemy disguises it the same way that he did because he's very deceptive. He doesn't just show up and tell you his plan straight out front. So he deceives us. He disguises it in a package that makes the shame a little more palatable, makes the shame a little more natural to us. So one of the ways that he sends shame to us is through regret. It's the looking back at missed opportunity. And I think every woman sitting in here can say, there was a moment that I wished that I would have done something that I didn't do, and then I wished I would have done it, and then I kicked myself for not doing it, and that memory of that comes up over and over and over. Am am I the only one? (laughs) Those, Those moments, how many times have we been somewhere and we've thought, gosh, I'm just, I'm going to tell on myself, I would be somewhere and I would like, Lord, send somebody to tell them that da, 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 da. And one day I was praying. I used to do that when I would see Darwin bumper stickers. (laughs) I would be like, Lord, send somebody to tell them how much you love them, Lord, that they would experience your love. And I remember walking through the parking lot one day and walking behind a car and seeing that bumper sticker on somebody's car. And I was like, Lord, send somebody along their path to minister your love to them and to tell them how precious they are to you. And right then, like, it was like somebody was following me. I sensed God say, uh, Maybe I sent you because you're the one standing by their car. (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) Tomorrow. Right? Because we don't want to step into that moment. Or there's somebody standing in front of us and we think, oh, I, I wonder if I'm supposed to pray with them. Or I wonder if I'm just supposed to go up to that person and say, hey, I see you with your kids. I just want you to know you're doing an awesome job as a mom. But we walk by and we say nothing. And then later we think, I really wish I would have said something to them. I wish that I would have been bold. I wish I would have been brave. But those things come up on the inside of us to hinder us from stepping out. And therefore, we carry those missed opportunities. And when we carry those missed opportunities with us, we feel like that we were not stewarding the moment. And if we couldn't steward the moment, what can God trust me with? If I can't, if I can't even pray for somebody that has a bumper sticker on the back of their car, God, can you trust me with miracle signs and wonders? It's that fast. God, if, if I miss the opportunity to go to school when you told me to go to school, or Lord, if I miss the opportunity to step into a position for a promotion, Lord, if I miss the opportunity to stay home with my kids, Lord, if I miss the opportunity to be in this relationship, And just that fast, it turns into, well, if I can't be trusted with that, can I be trusted with the authority that God has given to me, that God wants me to carry? So we carry that shame for those missed opportunities. The other one that I wrote down, the regret, the other one I wrote down was shame from comparison. We kind of talked about that just a minute ago with talking about identity is that there's a lot of shame that we can pick up just through simply comparing ourselves with other people, comparing ourselves with what somebody else is doing. Well, I could never sing like Rachel and Lacey, so I can never sing. And you guys have no idea how blessed you are that they were singing for you tonight and I was not. So if you think the Lord doesn't love you, then you are wrong. So <laughs> but we have these uh, things on the inside of us that we, I mean, we see, we look around, we listen, we hear, and we're comparing ourselves with other people. 
And I, you know, I love the thing that we're comparing our real life with somebody else's highlight reel, which is oftentimes really what it is. We're comparing ourselves with somebody else who, you know, they had a baby and they popped right back and they just fit right back into their jeans two weeks after they had a baby. What's wrong with me? You know, I've had my babies for 10 years and I'm still saying that it's baby weight. You know, things like that. I mean, we can compare ourselves again with our kids. Well, their kids were walking at eight months old and mine is two years old and still, you know, you know, whatever. I mean, we come up with all kinds of things to compare ourselves. And really what we're doing when we're comparing ourselves is that we're finding a reason the enemy again coming with that is disguising that when you're comparing is disguising the accusation. Because if I'm comparing myself and I'm not measuring up, then there's an accusation that comes against me of why am I not measuring up? Why am I not able to do this as well as somebody else does? Why am I not as good a mom? Why am I not as good at this? Why am I not doing that? Why haven't I accomplished this yet? Why have I not found this relationship yet? Why am I not in this place yet? So what it becomes is a place where the enemy gives us every reason to disqualify ourselves. And again, it goes back to disqualifying us in the relationship with God, disqualifying me from being in the place of being face to face with God, where I can feel his breath when he speaks, disqualifying me from being in the place with God, where I should just be thankful just to get to sit at his feet. Because if you only knew the thoughts that ran through my head, in this moment, if you only knew how I spoke to my husband, if you only knew how I spoke to my kids when I got short-tempered with them, all of these things go through our mind, and then we end up picking up the shame. The last one, and there's many, many more that we could talk about, but I'm just throwing these out because the ladies asked me to speak, so I'm the one that's throwing them out there. So you can add more to your list, whatever you would like to add. But the last one, that we pick up shame from is false expectations and we can place false expectations. I can put expectations on myself that nobody else is putting on me, but I put those expectations on myself because I pick that up from somewhere, whether it be in my own mind or what I hear somebody else saying, well, this person is such a good friend that they call all of their friends three and four times a week. I'm a terrible friend. Because I place the expectation on myself, well, I should be calling my friends three and four times a week, but I don't, I don't, I'm not a good friend. So I place that expectation on myself. I place an expectation on myself of what my marriage should look like, that my marriage should look like this person's or my marriage isn't like that person. And, you know, I, I remember Darren and I, <laughs> Darren and I, back before we had kids, we were driving down the road and we were listening to a, a marriage series on cassette tape. That'll let you know how long ago that was. We were listening to a marriage series on cassette tape and it was really something I found listening to this other couple talk about marriage and how marriage should be. And I was thinking, well, that's not what my marriage is like. That's, well, actually it's not like, you know, we don't have that or we don't do that or we're not in that place. And they were, I could tell you very specifically what they were talking about is they were talking about dating and that you should date and that your husband should take you out and that you should dress up and you should do this. Well, we did not have two nickels to rub together. So there was no dressing up and going out nowhere unless we were going to go sit out in the middle of the weeds in the front yard. That would have been the extent of the dressing up and going out. So I'm thinking, well, I'm have this expectation of this, you know, Cinderella and 
princess marriage scenario that's just simply not happening in my life at that time. And we can barely afford to put diesel in the truck. It's either put $10 of diesel in the truck or $5 of diesel and then have $5 to eat on. So this expectation that I have, and we're trying to serve God, we're trying to do what God wants us to do. We're trying to do it right. But this expectation that I've placed on myself and therefore, because I've placed it on myself, now I'm placing it on my husband, but I've not had that conversation with him that I am placing this on him. So now he has this completely unknown, invisible expectation that I'm placing on him that he's obviously failing. And so now I'm upset with him because he's failing something that he doesn't even know that he's not supposed to be failing at because I've not communicated that to him. And now I feel shame because my marriage obviously is not measuring up, but it's an expectation that nobody but myself put on that. And so I carry this expectation and because I'm not meeting up to that, I'm not measuring up to that standard. Again, I feel the shame. And now you can add all kinds of things from your life and whatever your experience has been and whatever the season you've walked in, whatever that expectation or whatever the measuring stick, whatever it is that you've used that causes you then to, in some way, the enemy wraps it up in a really nice package for you to feel shame. And what happens when we feel shame is the same thing that happened in the garden is we begin to put a distance. Shame is what places distance between us and God. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. And so the very same thing that separated woman and Adam from God in the garden is the same thing that separates us from God now. And it's the shame that they felt when they fell short and they disobeyed God. The shame that they felt caused them to turn from the face of God and go and hide. And it's the same thing that happens to you and I. We can pick up shame because, you know, Darren put out the 33 uh, day challenge to have worship going in your home for 33 days. Well, we had the heat go out in one end of our house. And I'm telling you, like God is in the Holy of Holies in a fur coat in that place right now because it is so cold in that room and we cannot go in there. So I could pick up shame about that. My husband is the one that said that we're supposed to be doing this. And I'm not even going in there right now because it's about, you know, 40 degrees in there. We just got the heat fixed today. Praise the Lord. But we pick up these things that we want to hide. We don't like to acknowledge it ourselves, And we sure don't want God to know about it. So we hide them and we sure don't want the other girlfriends in our lives to know about it. So we hide those things. And what it does is that shame removes us from the place where we're in that face-to-face with God relationship. The same way that it did in the garden, we remove ourselves from that place and we begin to put distance between us and God. And how does it happen is that the fire begins to go out. It's not something that we intentionally sit up and say, well, you know what? I'm just feeling some shame today, so I'm not going to go in and be with God. It's not how it happens. The more distance because of the shame over whatever, the more distance we put between us and God. Well, you know what? I'll spend some time with God uh, later later tonight when I get home, because I've just got a lot going on right now this morning. I got to get the kids, got to get them ready, got to get them out the door. I woke up late or I really need to take care of this before I leave this morning. So we just put a little bit of distance. We find reasons or the enemy will send excuses. The enemy will send busyness. The enemy will send a better opportunity. And pretty soon we find that we're just 
increasing that distance between us and God. And the more distance that's created, the less and less the fire is burning. And pretty soon you find yourself in a place where, golly, I, w- I really want to read my Bible, but it's boring. There's nothing in there that interests me. Anybody ever been there? And you're like, okay, Lord, where do you want me to read? Where do you want me to read? I'm just going to do that. What is it? You know, Bible roulette. Like you just open it up and try to find a spot and you start reading. And then so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. So -so, you're like, oh, dear God, (laughs) this is so boring. (laughs) And then what you find is that because the fire has died and gotten dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, you ever tried, you ever tried to light fire that's completely burned out? It's hard. It's hard to get those logs going again. But if you can catch that fire just before the embers completely die, what does it take to get them to spark back up again? It's the breath. It's that breath of God from that face-to-face place relationship that if you're in that place where you feel like, God, I feel like I think the wood is completely wet. Like there is no, there is no glimmer there at all. What it takes in is the fire. The fire's got to come back and that fire comes back. How do you take care of this, this waning or this going out of the fire and the shame? It's very simply putting yourself in that position where you're in that face to face with God again. I love what Darren says. He says, you can take a thousand steps away from God, but it's only one to get right back to him. And that one step is repentance. The remedy for shame is repentance. Have we ever thought about what would it have looked like if when Adam and Eve sinned and when God came into the garden that day and said, yes, you've thought about it. When he says, where are you? They would run out to him and say, here we are, Father. We feel so terrible. We don't know what's happened, but nothing is the same. Nothing is the same. Help us. Rather than putting the distance. How many times do we do that, though? Rather than coming to God when we're feeling that, when we're feeling the distance, when we're feeling the cold, that we try to, we try to, because we're tough, we can get this figured out. I just need, I just need to press in. And that's when we're trying to find places to read in our Bible. That's when we're trying to get the schedule worked out. That's when we're trying to press in. And it's just, everything is so dry. And it's like, oh Lord, where are you? Whereas if we would go to him and say, nothing feels the same. Help me, I don't know what's wrong. Nothing feels the same. That's when God would come in face to face with his breath again. I love in Ephesians, it says this to us. Ephesians 2, and of course, out of the Passion Translation, Ephesians 2.10 says, We've become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he's given each of us, for we're joined to Jesus, the anointed one, Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill them. See, the thing that I read here is that the most powerful place for us to gain destiny and for us to gain a sense of our identity is in the presence of God. Not anywhere else. It's not from anything that you do. It's not from praying hard enough. It's not from reading your Bible long enough and and reading the Bible in one year plan. And if that's good enough, then I can do it in six months. You know, it's not getting in and just trying to be the gold medal Christian and, and be stellar at everything that you're doing with God. It's just very simply getting in his presence. Because what he says to us is that before the foundations of the earth were laid, that God had good works and a destiny and a plan for you. 
That says to me that he knows you. He knows the identity that he has created for you on the inside. And there's no question in God's mind what you were created for. And if God created you for that, he created you perfectly to execute everything that he created you for. And your identity on the inside of you perfectly lines up with every good work that he created before the foundations of the earth for you to be able to fulfill every good work that God has placed in your future, that God has placed on the inside of you, that God has placed in front of you because God does not set his kids up to fail. He sets them up for victory because every time you and I walk in victory, it reflects on our father. He's fine. (laughs) Every time you and I get to do something amazing with God, it reflects on how awesome God is. And God did not create you with some deficiency for you to not be able to accomplish what it is that God's called you to accomplish. God created you. I love this. This is the way that that God showed it to me is that God didn't put you all together and then say, gosh, I would just really like for them to do this and then put his will and his dream and his destiny on the inside of you. Rather, what it is, is the way that I understand the word to describe it is that God had a dream. God had a destiny in mind, and then he put it out here and and then wrapped you around it. So everything is on the inside of you that you need to fulfill the destiny that's in front of you. Every good work. Jeremiah tells us that he knows the thoughts and the plans that he has for us of good and of a future with hope in it. And if you're not attaching hope to your future, you need to rethink. You need to back up and check where you're sitting and who's breathing on your face. Because if God is breathing on your face, there's going to be hope in that breath. So any thought that you have about your future that does not have hope attached to it is not a thought from God. So you need to take a step back from that and realize, okay, God, where are you breathing? Where is your, where is your face and readjust and move over here to say, there's your face, God, because there's where the hope is coming. There's where your breath is. And there's where you're breathing on the embers that I feel like are cold. There's where you're breathing, where I feel like I can't get stirred up. There's where I feel like I can't get on fire for God. There's where I feel like I can't be free in worship in church. There's where I feel like I can't raise my hands. There's where I feel like I I can't get excited about what you're doing, God. But when we readjust and move ourselves so that we're actually in that place where we are face to face with God and we feel his breath on our face, we feel his breath in everything that we're putting our hands to. That's the place where identity becomes destiny. And when you step into that place of your destiny, your identity is made for what you were made to do. And you were made to do great things because God doesn't make anybody to just do junk. God creates people to do great and mighty things. The same as what he created in the garden. I don't know about y'all, but I'm preaching myself happy and your faces are not showing it. So I'm just going to come over here, but I'm telling you that God created you with a destiny on the inside of you and your identity perfectly aligns with that destiny and that destiny perfectly wraps around your identity. And God created it all perfectly with you in mind. You're not missing anything. So I want to ask you this question. What is the difference between the person that says, I identify as, and the Christian that comes in and sits in their butt rut every single Sunday and never takes a step out to be bold into what God is asking them to do? Neither one of them are fulfilling their purpose. Neither one of them are walking in their God-given identity. So let us now look down our nose at someone. Oh, 
I did say that out loud. <laughs> oh, y'all, there's so much for you. There's so much for you. There's so much for us, and we're only scratching the surface. We haven't even got to the cream filling yet. So how do we do this? How do we get in that face-to-face place, breath of God place? Gosh, I'm so glad you asked. If you guys want to go ahead and come on up, I'm going to read this scripture and then we're going to be done. Romans 8.14, again, in the Passion Translation, I love this. It says, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. This passage is so rich. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Isn't that what was deceiving the woman to begin with? Is that she didn't measure up. That he, he, the, the serpent said to her, if you eat this, you'll be like God. She was already like God. The fear of never being good enough. But you've received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the word of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, naked and beaten, any shame that you could ever experience, that you would ever feel, that you would ever go through. Jesus carried all of that when he suffered on the cross for you and for me. But this scripture right here gives us the key into knowing our identity because it says to us right here that the spirit, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us makes God's fatherhood real to us. Where do you get your identity? Your identity comes from the Heavenly Father. Everything that you want to know about you, everything that you want to know about why you're here and your destiny, everything that you want to know about all of the gifts and the beauty and the treasure that are on the inside of you, it's all found in relationship with your Father. And God wasn't satisfied that we would just sit next to him. God wasn't satisfied that we would just be close to him. God went to the extent that through Mary, by Mary saying yes to having the Messiah placed on the inside of her, that Mary opened the door that now you and I could say yes to the Holy Spirit being on the inside of us. That God restored her. That God's not content to just sit by you. God wants to breathe in you. It's the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that makes God's fatherhood real. Some people will ask, well, 
do I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? No, you don't have to, but why would you want to? Why would you want to live this life without receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit? If you have asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, the scripture tells us that you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And let me tell you something. You don't get God without Jesus, and you don't get God and Jesus without the Holy Spirit. you got all three of them. And sometimes in church we can kind of get the idea that the Holy Spirit is the black sheep of the family and that he's got to sit on the back row because he's a little out of control. He's the out of control one. When in actuality the Holy Spirit is the one that is communicating the most order, the deepest identity, and making the truth of God real to you. So let me just ask this to begin with. Is there anybody here who has never said, I choose Jesus? Today, I am making a choice for myself to say, I choose to follow Jesus and I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. If you don't know that you've made that decision and made that commitment real in yourself, I want you just to shoot your hand up super high right now. Because if you can't do it sitting in here, you're not going to be able to do it sitting out there. And I don't think that we should do this secret, like secret Christian thing, because it's not a secret. And it's not anything that you should be ashamed of and have to close your eyes and bow your head. I'm not saying that anybody that does tell you to do that is doing it wrong. That's just Lynette Land. That's my world. So is there anybody that has never, like, you need to just, you just need in this moment, I just need to solidify that for myself. Is there anybody like that in here at all? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Okay. So I'm going to move forward with the thought in mind that every one of us has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or I'm sorry, that we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. The Bible tells us that it's like an engagement ring. It's the promise of who we are, that we belong to him. So when you receive the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, now you get to take the next step with saying, I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit have me. And that is when your identity comes to life. That is when you're not wondering anymore. I don't really know what I have on the inside of me. I don't know if I have the fullness in me. I don't know if I have anything special on the inside of me. You do. Because you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And it is the one gift that God gives to us to build ourselves up. To build up our own. The Bible says to build up your most holy faith. It's the Holy Spirit living and breathing. The very spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead lives and breathes on the inside of you. So I want to ask you to do this. In a minute, Rachel has picked out a song, and I want her to explain the song to us. But here's what I want to ask. If the women's team would come up, if you guys would just come up along here and spread yourselves out. Here's what I want to ask is if you have never... Well, just go ahead and just just close your eyes. And the reason I say close your eyes is because, again, in Lynette Land, if I'm looking around, I'm looking at the girl's hair in front of me going, oh, my gosh, that's so pretty. So I close my eyes, <laughs> not because it makes you more holy. It's just because in my world, it helps me to focus. <laughs> so if you can focus with your eyes open, go for it. More, more power to you. But in my world, I have to close my eyes. So I want to just ask you right now. Everyone in this room has said, yes, I have said, Jesus, I follow you. And you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. But I want to ask you this question. You have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? Have you ever said, Holy Spirit, come, 
Fill me to overflowing with your power. That as it says in the book of Acts, that I would be witness of you. That my life would demonstrate the identity that you've placed on the inside of me. That my life would be, as the book of uh, Ephesians says to us, that my life would be a billboard of who you are. And that's what the Holy Spirit does on the inside of us, is it makes our life a billboard for the power and the goodness of God. So if you've never said, Holy Spirit, have me, I want you to fill me to overflowing. I want to invite you right now just to put your hands on your belly. And as you put your hands on your belly, you can do this even if you have received the Holy Spirit before. What I want you to do is I want you just to begin to focus right here on the inside. where This is your inner man. It's not in your mind. It's not in your intellect. It's in the Spirit of God on the inside of you. So I say your belly. You can focus in right there. And right now, what I want you to do is I want you to take a deep breath. And what I'm going to ask you to do in a minute, when you take that deep breath, I want you to blow on the coals of the Holy Spirit that's in your gut. And when you blow on the coals of the Holy Spirit that's in your gut, what's going to happen is it's going to ignite a fire on the inside of you. And when that fire is ignited on the inside of you, you're going to make a shift from whatever area, maybe you've been face to face with God at certain times, or maybe you've been face to face with God in certain areas of your life, but there's certain areas that you need to just make a little adjustment. The area that you don't see hope for your future, make that little adjustment. The area that you're still carrying shame from something in your past, make that little adjustment and just move over just a little bit so that you're face to face with God again. And when you move to that face to face place, that's when the spirit of God breathes that breath into that fire on the inside of you. So I declare over you right now in the name of Jesus, ignite. So when you're ready, I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to blow on those coals that are in your stomach. That spirit man on the inside of you. And if you have never asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, have me, and you want to do that right now, I want you to stick your hand up really high, one hand on your gut, Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Father, in the name of Jesus, these women that have raised their hands, I want to ask if you would go ahead and keep your hands up. And we're going to do this. There's a hand here, a hand here. Ladies, if you would look around for the hands that are up. And those of you who have received your baptism of the Holy Spirit and you are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to move. I want at least two with every sister that has their hand raised right now. So if you want somebody to come to you right now, and we have our women's team right here, if you would go and be with them. Miss Sheridan, I want you to go too. And Katie, would you go? Because you guys are powerful. Dessa Rosa, you want to go pray too? Go, lovey. Yeah, thank you.